Morning Liberty. It's a, uh, it's a sick Morning Liberty. <laughs> we, are, we are both sick. It's, yeah, I've been sick for almost three weeks now, but I'm still, still here. Man, I feel terrible today. I think you are finally catching what I've had. You know how when you have, you know, like maybe you're kind of feverish and you just feel weak mm-hmm. and like just kind of wimpy and everything hurts and you just want to lay down? Yeah. You know? Especially men. Men are worse about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When, like, when a guy gets sick, it's like the end of the world. Those memes are accurate. Very true. Very <laughs> true. Uh, what um, how it reminds me of what uh, Chris would say on, on Parks and Rec. He would say, the microchip has been compromised. <laughs> My body is a microchip. <laughs> yeah. That's why the last couple of days, I mean, I've had no, almost no motivation. It's like, you feel like you can't do anything. Yeah. Are you so? What we had to do today on Good Morning Liberty? Yes, which is the name of the podcast. Yes. that we're doing right now. It is. I'm Nate. Charlie. Okay, um, we're gonna do an Ask Me Anything Friday. Yes, Just I love this. Ask us anything. So we we put this out uh, yesterday on our Facebook and our Instagram. Didn't tweet about it, but uh, didn't feel the need. So we put this out on our Instagram and our Facebook. You just ask. You know, what do you want us to talk about today? So. We got a few pretty good suggestions, a couple not good suggestions. Um, What we got was uh, a little talk about the gold standard, uh, currency devaluation, which is obviously a very important topic. We need to spend about the next month on that one, probably. Uh, Trump, did you hear that Trump is considering pardoning Rob Lagojevich, the former governor of Illinois? Hmm. I did not hear that. Yeah, I, I actually didn't know that until one of our listeners brought it up. Shout out, Aaron. What's up, Aaron? Um, he's considering giving him a pardon. Now, now uh, Rob Lagojevich got a 14-year prison sentence for basically, what was it, racketeering, fraud, extortion, all these kinds of things. But the biggest the biggest thing was that when, when Barack Obama was elected to become the president, which he was in Illinois, um, what... What Blagojevich tried to do was basically try to sell his Senate seat to the highest bidder because the governor got to appoint someone as a senator. So uh, what he tried to do was he was eliciting campaign donations. We'll just call it that. Now, I'm a little, you know, I'm a little confused on this one because one of the things that he was convicted in, one of the instances was that he was withholding a two million dollar state grant, uh, in basically saying that he wasn't going to give out the state grant unless they made a campaign donation, and I just thought that that was like normal. Yeah, like I thought everyone did that. Maybe he just got caught. I get like he got caught. <laughs> that's that's obviously yeah. the biggest problem. Doesn't is the he federal got government caught. do that all the time that's to the ex- states? Exactly what I have written down. Like, on the oh, next if line. you don't comply with our federal <laughs> regulations, we'll withhold your. Your tax money that we said we were going to give you. Yeah, that's that's literally what the federal government does. It, it collects money from the state's people and then holds that over the state's heads and forces them to do what it wants them to do. Like that's that's it literally the what way it around. does. The state should collect the taxes, and then if the federal government doesn't, it if decides. the federal government tries to yeah. usurp its power, then you just keep the money away from the federal government, which yeah. the federal government would be broke right now <laughs> if we you did know, that. You know, the weird part that that would change a lot. Obviously, that's how it should be because mm-hmm. we're fifty. The separate states who have decided right. to pool our money together in the interest of national defense, and that's basically it's basically why we have a federal government, right? So that would be 
an amazing way to do it was that the states collect the money and then they say, okay, federal government, if you do this, then we'll consider giving you the money. I wonder if a state could accomplish that with a bill. You know, we I, think we talk about electing liberty candidates to state legislators, right? Yeah. I wonder if there's a way for a, a state to do that. Like, can they can they declare their sovereignty, let's say, in a bill, and and pass a law where you know the the money that's taken out of your paycheck? Because most Americans, you pay income tax; it's deducted out of your paycheck. Can they say like, oh, the money that's deducted out of your paycheck that'll go into this like Tennessee state coffers? Yeah, and then we'll decide how much we send the federal government every month. I, I wonder if that's possible. If it is possible, I hope someone gets to work on it. Maybe we should, our uh, buddy... We start... Maybe our buddy Daniel up there in... Uh, oh, where is he thinking at? About like that. Montana or something yeah, he's like in Montana. that? Yeah, I can't remember. It was Zol, Zol, Zolnikov? Zolnikov. Something, yeah. Zolnikov, yeah. The nice guy we met over at the Young Americans for Liberty Convention. Also a state that's representative. That's something to think about, though. Yeah. Isn't that... I mean, that would be a, that would be a huge Liberty idea. I think... I think we should do it. I think and I think they should be do like, it. Oh, how the turntables! <laughs> so the other part. <laughs> so I have a confusing thing to throw in with this, isn't that he was convicted of trying to sell Obama's Senate seat, and that's you know I'm not trying to defend Blagojevich really, but it's it's pretty <laughs> weird to be convicted of uh, conspiring to do something. Now I know that that goes, you know, if you're conspiring to commit murder, things like that, that that's a big deal. But isn't it kind of weird? It just kind of a, I don't know, a little bit of a conundrum that he actually didn't, you know, they don't know, they don't see have any evidence of the money passing hands and selling the Senate seat. They just have tapes of him talking about selling the Senate seat and how he wants to do it. But did he actually do it? So because he's actually in prison for conspiring to do this. Not for doing this. Is there's a statute against that, so, though, isn't it? I'm, I'm sure there is. I, and but then again, something being a law isn't pure evidence that it should be a law. But it, I'm not saying that he didn't do anything wrong or that he shouldn't be in prison. I just thought it was interesting to note that he got in trouble for saying that he was going to do something. So yeah, I think that, that <laughs> if you're saying that you are going to do something, like if I'm, if I'm talking to you. And I'm saying, man, I'm going, like, I'm going to rob my neighbor. Yeah. I mean. Is that illegal? I don't know. I feel like, but that's, you know, like, it's the whole self-defense thing. Like, you don't have to wait for somebody to actually hit you. Yeah. Well, I I I completely support the people of Illinois hitting Rob Glovich, for sure. (laughs) But somebody makes a threat like that, like, I'm going to rob you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Then you can protect yourself. It's just weird. Like, could the cops take you to court and say, hey, we have a tape, or we have a text message where you said that you're going to rob a bank, so we're going to put you in prison. <clears throat> I think it has to be a credible threat. Yeah. Just, just, this is where the reasonable standard just something to comes chew in. on. Something to chew on there. I'm not saying that I'm right about this. It's just something that kind of <laughs> kind of clicked in my mind. And, and no, I, feel I, like if, I feel like if he would have said, man, I wish it were legal, because I could make a lot of money doing this. Yeah. But he realizes that it's not legal. Yeah, he, maybe something like that. True, true. I true. could say like, "Oh, you shouldn't be charged for a crime." Like, but Blagojevich is just following the long line of um, fraud that goes on in Illinois mm-hmm. all the time. Trust me, there's there's a lot of it. Their governor before Rob Blagojevich was in prison mm-hmm. at at this time. 
So it's a, he's not in prison anymore, I don't think. I think he got a six-year sentence, so I, I do not believe that uh, George Ryan is in prison anymore. Yeah. But it's just like a Chicago politics thing, just a big just a big gang, just big gangster thing going on up there. Well, there's other stuff that we know, too, like where grant money gets allocated oh, yeah. in certain places I've, because I've, of people that people know. And I've talked to people that have talked to people that knew people that were in the state yes. government. Um, my dad was also an elected official as well, but this was not him even telling me this. But um, what they would do is in exchange for support or in exchange for special treatment, uh, special treatment, like maybe you needed to get out of a ticket. Yeah. Maybe you needed to get out of your speeding ticket or your, your reckless driving ticket. What you would do is promise to direct state money uh, towards buying a new police patrol cruiser yeah. for the, for that police precinct, mm-hmm. which has literally happened because I talked to people that have received those phone calls. So yeah. it, uh, that kind of thing happens. And in Illinois, for sure, uh, they haven't really had a good governor since um, there's a guy named Jim Edgar, yeah. uh, who actually, uh, oddly enough, um, you know, my my mom actually for like 16 years dated the guy that was the the uh, chief of staff for Jim Edgar. Hmm. And so, like when I did my job shadowing in uh, in like elementary school, maybe seventh or eighth grade, I job shadowed Jim Edgar. The he was the governor of Illinois. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool job shadowing right there. Why aren't you a governor now? I, I you didn't get the. That's small time, man. Come <laughs> on, I'm talking this podcast. We got listeners. We got listeners in everywhere. I was looking last night. There's people listening in Brazil, Peru. Mm-hmm. There's people listening in Saudi Arabia. You know, oh, wow. There's people. We are, we cover like every country in Europe. There's people listening. I mean, uh, governor. You kidding me? Come on. It's too small. You don't need governor of one state. (laughs) Bigger sites than that, man. This is worldwide. But (laughs) worldwide. So it's um you know, part so now Trump is talking about pardoning Blagojevich. And I don't like this. I don't really like this because this is just kind of showing favoritism towards someone who has power. Now maybe he's trying to extend an olive branch to a bunch of Democrats somewhere because he was a Democrat governor. So maybe he's trying to say, hey, look, I'm going to pardon a Democratic former governor that's in prison right now. Or maybe he's doing that to drum up the old conversation again about how there's a corrupt Democratic former governor in prison right now. Yeah. Who, who knows? But I don't like it because there's a lot of people in prison right now uh, that probably, if Blagojevich deserves to get pardoned, there were probably a lot more. People I mean, there's that probably like a hundred thousand more people that de- that deserve it more than Blagojevich does. Right. So that's just okay. You've got power, so now you can attract the attention of the person who's a president. Blagojevich right is now. in like rich prison too. Oh yeah, yeah. He's playing yeah. tennis right now. Right. Probably like like, like, like Wall Street. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's just he's playing tennis. There's a golf course on his prison. I guarantee right. you. Right. It's, it's out in Colorado. So <laughs> I mean, he's having a, a good time right. high up in the clouds. So anyway. That's that's all I have. You got anything else on Bogoyevich? I don't think he should do it. No, I don't either. Yeah, no. that's my main thing. And, I, you know, this was a long time ago. I think I was still in high school when this happened, right? Uh, it was 2008. So I no, was just, I was just, just out. out of high school. Yeah. <clears throat> but I remember hearing all the, all the reports coming out. And, well, the last couple of governors when we were there just being so corrupt. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it is kind of nice when corruption gets caught it is you know i just wish it would happen more often yeah it kind of seems like 
kind of cherry picking corruption every once in a mm-hmm. while, and especially uh, just to me, maybe this is a false assumption, but what he was doing to me probably happens on a daily basis mm-hmm. in like every single state and every county in the federal government all the time. For sure, you're telling me they're not eliciting campaign support in return for federal grants ever at the clinton foundation you know you ever seen house of cards oh man i love that probably probably accurate (laughs) yeah who was it was um it was thomas massey that said that that show was completely inaccurate that it was actually way worse it was was worse yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i mean that's the kind of things that happen it's uh it's a cesspool it's it's terrible it's it makes you never want to get into politics but people that get in there they get corrupted so fast it's Speaking, speaking of the um, the corruption, we had a question about where where's the money that has gone into Baltimore and Elijah Cummings District. You know, we, we had this talk, this whole controversy about Trump tweeting. You know, what did he, what did he say? Infested, like rat infested something area. Well, whatever mm-hmm. he said about about Baltimore. I don't, I don't pay that much attention to that stuff, but. Anyway, we had a question about bringing up where's the money. So I wanted to look at how much money has gone there. So it um, it let's turns see. out, turns out <laughs> in 2008, um, they got they got 1.8 billion dollars, 1.8 billion dollars given directly to them to the city of Baltimore. To the city of Baltimore, um, 1.8 billion. Um, as of 2013, do you know how many jobs have been created from that? A thousand. 290 oh 290 jobs yeah millions of that was specifically for job training by the way Mm -hmm. that's what it was that was what it was divided out for that's what it was earmarked for that's what it was earmarked for thank you that so uh, it's pretty expensive jobs program right there Mm -hmm. that's a lot of money that uh, that those better be some really good 290 jobs that have been created by 2013 from that money but then also and it's it gets worse but but wait there's more uh as of fiscal year 2018 uh, elijah cummings district have received 16 billion dollars in federal grants just his district wow and the city is still i mean they're among it's one of the most dangerous cities in in the u.s the other one being so they use some of that money for Police force, security. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. They pay the most per student in their education system, like right up there with right up there with New York and you know those out in California. So um, it just kind of goes to tell you that uh, throwing more money in towards something doesn't always fix the problem, especially if you just have a corrupt government that's divvying out the money. Right. You know they're they're just going to help the people that they need. They're I bet you. this is pure speculation, but you don't think some of that money went out to people in exchange for support or exchange for, you know, coming to the campaign dinner mm-hmm. or anything like that, supporting someone's foundation in some kind of way. I mean, $16 billion. So, well, a lot of times what they do is, and I know this because I have, I have, you know, people that do state contract jobs or city contract jobs and things like that. And what happens is, is, you know, you'll, they'll have a budget or they'll have this grant money, let's say, and they'll be like, okay, well, we want to repave this street and we've got, you know, a hundred million dollars to do that. Well, and the person like bidding for the job is like, well, we could do that for like 50 million. And they're like, well, no, we have to use the entire thing. Cause otherwise we can't get 
more money. Yeah, yeah. And so they find ways to spend that money. But I think it's like the companies make extra money, and then that company, all the contract buddies, they'll make more campaign donations. Well, it's just like it's just filtering through. That's all, exactly what they. It's lump. It's money laundering. That's all those, what it is. All those things just end up being more and more expensive. You end up having the fifty thousand dollar toilet seats and stuff like that. You know that. That's why. When did John Stossel do that thing on the? $10 million bathroom in a yeah. park in New York or something like that. When you're using stolen money that you didn't have to earn through any kind of value creation, you lose the incentive to be efficient, to be cost effective ever. There's no reason. Well, then you figure out how it can end up back in your pocket. Yeah. You got to get that money back to you in some kind of way. You got to make sure you use the entire budget. That way they don't decrease your budget the following year, things like that. It's it's just a lot of, a lot of corruption going on when we talk about this money. But it's funny how guys like Rand Paul can get an office budget and he returns hundreds of thousands of dollars back to the treasury. Yeah. And he's like one of five people that do that. Yeah. Just a few people actually, they do not use their entire budget. They they save money and give it back to the treasury yeah. every year. And Rand. somehow he's able to still do his job. That's on weird. A, on a limited, you know, conservative budget. Almost seems like he's even more... Uh, even even more prevalent than a lot of the other senators that are using their entire budget. Yeah. You know? So it's... And that's the thing. They don't care. No one Government cares. doesn't care about you. We don't have a money problem. We, there's a corruption overspending problem. Yeah. We, I mean, look, people say that we need to put more money into the education system. We, we pay... It's a... Um, in relevance to our GDP, we pay second most in the entire world. Switzerland is number one. We pay the second most per student... Uh, out of every country in the entire world, yet we're ranked like 25th, mm-hmm. you know? It just isn't... And then you're supposed to believe that we're just going to throw a bunch of money at healthcare and we're going to be right up there where, we, where we're at right now. You know, that, you know what's crazy, too? I looked at the numbers because this is all public information. You know, they say they need more money for education. Well, the problem is they don't spend money on education. You've yeah. got administrators in Davidson County because you can go look up their salaries that are making $400,000 a year. Now you tell me, what public school administrator yeah. needs to make four hundred grand a year? You know there are a lot of times, you know we make decent money. We're not rich by any means, but pretty good, pretty good money for the value that we provide. And it's like I drive around Nashville, and I'm like, God, who can afford these houses? Yeah. And I finally figured it out. It's like, oh, four hundred thousand dollar a year at school administrators. Yeah. That's that's where these people live. That's how they afford it. It's because you can. Uh, what's that? Somebody compiled all this information, but it's all public record. You can look up what public officials make or or public servants make, and it's just it's unbelievable. I can't believe. Like I was looking at Davidson County, and there's these school administrators. Like, what do you, what do you do for the education system where you deserve four hundred thousand dollars a year in taxpayer money? That makes sure. No, they... I'm not against people making four hundred thousand dollars a year. I'm not against that. No, I'm not against people making a million dollars a year. But you are a public servant. Yep. You are working in the public sector. If anyone needs to get more of that money, it would actually be the teachers, probably, yeah. at, the, at the schools. It but, would be teachers or investing in education. There's no reason why there are so many administrators that need $400,000 a year. What are they What are they running? Uh, probably something that would put them in prison if we found out what it was. <laughs> I bet you. Something like that. What was the other thing that Aaron brought up uh this morning should rivers <laughs> this is an interesting question uh for all you folks out there should rivers have the same rights as human beings should they be treated as human beings so to be classified a river would be 
classified the same <coughs> the same rights as a human being. Exactly. Basically same classified as a human being at that a, point. A born, in time. I guess a born human being. Okay, yeah, not an unborn right. human being. Isn't it weird that we're having that conversation? So not- in yeah, this is an interesting article from NPR. Bangladesh had just uh, just announced um, the Supreme Court, and they set up a new committee, of course, because you need some type of committee to oversee this. Yeah. They announced that uh, their rivers now have the same legal rights as humans. And the essence of this idea, it stems from a, a 1976 paper from a University of California uh, law professor who put together that there needs to be uh, basically environmental legal status. And so the idea behind it is if you do something to harm the river, it's like you're doing some the same thing as like harming your mother. Yeah. Now, so it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it would seem like all the money and all the administration that we have that the, that the EPA already does this in their, in their own kind of way. Right. I mean, don't they, prosecute people for polluting and levy fines, all kinds of stuff like that. It's almost, I mean, with all the regulations in the EPA, it's almost, I would say rivers have more rights than human beings here in, here in the U S <laughs> yeah. But it's like you, you would actually go to prison for murder if you did something to kill a now, river. How do you murder a river? Um, I don't know because it's a, a, a river is a little bit different than a, than a human being. And in the fact that it keeps getting replenished all the time by, by new water brought from other places, you know, rain goes into all the little, I don't know what all the little tributaries are and everything that leads into a river, you know, it gets replenished, but like a human, like if you, if you murder a human, like it doesn't get replenished by new things and then Mm -hmm. it's just a new human later. So it's kind of weird to treat it the same as a human when, um, it's not a human. It doesn't even have the same mortality that a human does. So, uh, I don't, I don't know if I could get behind that because you can't murder a river. Can you? I mean, then would you be stealing from a river if you took a glass of water out of the river? Is that would that be river theft? I guess so. I guess to me, this is just re, like really stupid. Yeah, <laughs> it's really dumb that people are advocating. Like, this is what you want to spend your time on. Yeah, this is how this, this is how perfect our society has become. We, by the way, we are all of our problems have disappeared so much that rivers are now being treated as human. They have the same rights. People need to have some gratitude for real, because I, when I went, when I went to uh, Djibouti, Africa, um, I was, I was begged for the first time ever in my life. I was begged for water by a woman that was holding a baby. She ran up to our, to our bus. We were traveling, um, doing armed forces entertainment tours uh, she ran up to our bus and gave the the sign signal for water while she was holding her kid. Like she, they needed water so they could keep. They weren't begging for a dollar or for a beer or thank you. Anything helps or I'm a I'm a wounded vet or anything like that. She was like, hey, I'm a lady. I have my baby and we're gonna die of thirst sometime in the next week. Can we just if, get if some you don't water? Help. And then in the U.S we're posting articles about whether or not we should treat our massively plentiful rivers as human beings. Yeah. You know, I mean, just, I'm not saying that, that, you know, that doesn't maybe doesn't need to be a conversation, but then having that conversation, there needs to be some gratitude for just how, how great we have it here. I mean, and clearly you shouldn't pollute rivers or try to, 
kill a river. Right? No. I mean, rivers do a lot of good things for the environment. Does a lot of good things for human beings. You got fish in there, and you know it. it it's you got clean water. Usually, it's moving stuff. Whatever. Like you shouldn't pollute it. You shouldn't dump stuff in there. You shouldn't whatever build unnecessary dams or whatever it may be. Like you shouldn't shouldn't try to do those things. But to give them the same legal status, so like you can put somebody in prison for murder if they <laughs> yeah if they do something to a river, maybe even unknowingly. Like you know, there's not. What if they don't have the education to know like. Oh man, like I, I dumped this stuff in the river. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. Well, yeah, prison for you, buddy. Like I changed the oil in my car at my house, and it got down into the right creek that's next to next to my house. And I didn't realize that, that ran all the way into the river that that touched all these people, and now I'm going to go to prison. It's ins- it's just insane to think about things like that. I I believe in doing what you can for the environment. Obviously, we all have to live here, but to me, it's just yeah. God, it's just stupid. <laughs> it's just so dumb. It's it's almost like we should talk about currency devaluation instead. Yes, so. <laughs> I think we should. I think we should get there. Another question. Not that we, it's not a dumb question. I mean, it's. I mean, this was on NPR. Yeah. So it's like, this is some. These are things that people waste their freaking time on. Yep. This is the this is the biggest issue in someone's life right now. Right. Once again, that's how great we have it here. But uh, we had a question on Instagram. Um, thank, thank you for asking that. I don't, I can't remember the name right now, but it was about going off of the gold standard. I'll find that. And while what's, you, while you introduce this, I'll what's find happening with inflation, the dangers of inflation, how it's, it's technically a, a hidden tax and, you know, why we went off of the gold standard and how, how gold has value and why, why maybe we should have stuck to that. So I've been pulling some, I've been pulling some historical, uh, yeah, good. Could, uh, let's see, nine it's, Ramos is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. Nine or nine Ramos? It'd be nine. I think AI in most languages is an I nine, sound. Nine Ramos asked. So, um, the this question about the gold standard. So we used to be on this thing called the gold standard. That it it was taken away in two different at two different times. One of the, the biggest time when it started was actually in the 30s, and uh, President Franklin Roosevelt. Actually, they did gold confiscation where they you had to turn in your gold to the government, and and then so that was that was pretty crazy. And then uh, in the I think late sixties and the early seventies, we actually went off off of the gold standard. What used to what we used to have to do was if we were going to issue money, it had to have gold behind it to represent a value of that money. So whenever you saw a a dollar. You knew that somewhere there was there was gold being held somewhere you to Fort Knox to right? sure yeah to uh to ensure that value. So now here's a question though yeah. before we dive into that why why is gold money to begin with? It's just money because it's something that people deem valuable and it's a fixed resource. Yeah, it's something. <coughs> Excuse me, it's something that has been deemed valuable for thousands of years. Yeah. That literally that's why all throughout human history that we can that we can see people have deemed gold as valuable right so you know take that or leave it think about that what you will but it is the case that human beings have always found gold or silver very valuable that mm-hmm. even um in over in europe they had the uh, the pound sterling so the pound sterling represented a pound of sterling silver that's where that name came from so they had a silver-backed currency mm-hmm. also at that time. So we 
what we eventually found was that what this did was it, uh, it constricted the amount of money that the government could, could print to do all of its amazing things that it does. And they spun this in the guise of, ah, gold's heavy. Yeah. You know, like, which, I mean, having a paper representation of something is a lot, definitely a lot less heavy. It is. It'd be hard to carry, you know, $20,000 worth of gold to go buy a car. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why we difficult. issue money to represent that gold. Right. That, and that was the whole idea behind it. But then, like you said, really it all started in 1913 with the Federal Reserve. Yeah. And because used to, you would have, uh, you know, if you look at, if you can find an old bill, it was issued by the United States Treasury. And since 1913, every dollar bill that you have now or every representation, a $20 bill, whatever, it says Federal Reserve Note. Yeah. So they they farmed out the uh, currency to the to a private bank, the Federal Reserve. Allegedly private bank. Yes. Yeah. That has a government-appointed board. Yeah, somehow. but it's a private bank. But, yeah. yeah. Yep. And but, but then what you were saying, we'll get back on track here, sorry. Um, in the 60s, 70s, somewhere around there, we went off the gold standard where the government said, uh, just buy fiat, like, yeah, we don't really need gold to back it anymore. Like, well, there's, there's strength in the dollar. Yeah. The, one of the main things, one of the main ways they were able to do this was through uh, fear, really. They, they basically have said, people on that side of the argument will say that one of the main reasons for the Great Depression was because we were on the gold standard and we couldn't, we couldn't keep up with the higher demand and, and deflationary period entered and that was the, the depression. And the, the actual thing that could have stopped the Great Depression, if you think about a run on the bank, well, the, the Federal Reserve is there to basically to be the lender of last resort. That's it. That's what they call it. So when people come to get their money out of the bank or there is a run on the bank, what should have happened is that the Federal Reserve would issue a statement and say, hey, okay, we're going to, we're going to guarantee all the, we're going to guarantee all the money. So it's all there. Anyone that needs to take money out, we're going to, we're going to cover it. You know what that would do? Stop people it from would, running the bank. It would stop people from running the bank. That <sighs> That's all they needed to do. That was it, mm-hmm. was say that. They never said that. So they failed to step in and become the lender of last resort. And instead, all the fear ensued. People running on the bank, banks going out of business because they didn't have the money to cover. Uh, all these kinds of crazy things ensued. And then we had the 30s Great Depression. And it's all because of <clears throat> fractional reserve banking. Yeah. Which, so banks are only allowed to have 10%? They are They are allowed to loan out money and only have 10% of that money in reserve. In reserves if, to actually if, pay out. If they had $10 they could technically loan $100 out. So when in, what ends up happening is they've loaned out way more money than what they actually have. So if everyone mm-hmm. comes at the same time to get that money, there's it's, it's just not there. There's a great video of a guy, I can't remember who it is, in uh, Brit- I think it was in British Parliament or maybe the European Union, he talked, who railed against fractional reserve banking. Now, you think about that, like, sure, a bank can take a risk like that. But the problem that happens is, like, and this is this what happened. This is what happened in, in two thousand eight. Even is that the government won't allow these institutions to fail, and that's the biggest problem. Is they need to fail so people won't do that again. Yeah. But we don't. We're not. We didn't allow them to fail. We bailed them out, and so it's just happening all over again. So uh, I would support going back to the gold standard. You know, it's interesting seeing Bitcoin pop up like this because mm-hmm. there's some. Some similarities in the fact that Bitcoin is technically like a, a fixed amount of Bitcoin, right? You know, 
Now, it the good thing about it, which is better than regular money, we have a dollar, and we can separate that dollar all the way down to one cent. So we can do one one-hundredth of a dollar. Uh, but with a Bitcoin, there's technically, there's no limit on what fraction of a Bitcoin you could have. Right. You know, you could have one quadrillionth of a Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and they can, they can do that. So it's interesting... Uh, that Bitcoin is popping up and that people are wanting to put their money into it. And it's something that can't be easily manipulated by the federal reserve, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's going to be interesting to see this, see how this all plays out. I don't take Bitcoin as a serious currency right now because uh, do you want, do you want to put your money in the, just take the money in your bank account and put it in Bitcoin? The problem is it's not widely accepted. Yeah. So that's why it's not viable currently. Now there are some people that are accepting it, but it's not viable right now because it's not been accepted as a wide use of currency. Well, it's also not viable because it's it's too volatile. I mean, it, it moves back and forth too much. Right. And you go up, you don't want to have all your money in something that could be 10% lower tomorrow. Mm-hmm. No, you don't, you don't want to have... And so what they're going to have to do is to stabilize Bitcoin is a, a large portion of Bitcoin, Bitcoins, are going to have to be bought up by i don't know large investors big banks what whatever it is because right now if you have you know 100 percent of the bitcoins can fluctuate back and forth all over the place and then it creates these wide price movements all the time what what's going to need to happen is there someone's going to need to buy up like 75 percent of the bitcoin so that isn't allowed to move anymore, and then only the fluctuations happening on the on the rest of it. So that would that would create what we have like with a dollar, where we just have a few percent inflation maybe over a year, whereas Bitcoin could decrease by twenty percent tomorrow. You know, you you don't know if if that's going to happen. But I wanted to talk a little bit about inflation as a tax. As Ron Paul would call it a a hidden tax on the poor. That's that's what inflation is. So, well, let's kind of <clears throat> I kind of want to walk through his question though to get there, because the the question is devalued currency, how gold is money, so we covered that, and how it's been devalued for paper, and then he says the effects of inflation and the poverty it insinuates. So let's walk through first how it's the the money's been devalued since the gold standard, because if you think about it, you know back in. Well, let's even go back to the 80s or whatever. You know, a new truck was $8,000 and now it's $50,000. Well, does that mean that um, does that mean that there's less money or anything like that? A lot of that has to do with with the devaluing of the dollar. And yeah. here's how that happens in simple terms. How that happens is the government prints more money um, and enters more money into the economy than what's its actual value should represent. And so now, uh, and this is through inflation, inflation is part of this. So now the dollar that you have in your pocket um, only has the purchasing power of what, you know, 10 cents used to be uh, 50 years ago. Yeah. Right. So uh, the easiest example to look at this is in, you know, 1920, let's say, yeah, somewhere around the 1920s or 30s. A really nice suit would cost you one ounce of gold, a gold coin, which back then had a representation of $20, right? So an ounce of gold was worth 20 U.S. dollars, and you could buy yourself a nice custom suit. 
Well, today an ounce of gold is valued at what's it trading at now? Thirteen hundred, fourteen hundred, something around there. Yeah. Yeah. So a really nice custom suit would still cost you about twelve, thirteen hundred dollars. Now I got a custom suit for less than that. Yeah. Because uh, because of innovation mm-hmm. and not having to actually go to a physical tailor and all of that, they were able to to get me a nice custom suit for cheaper. But still, like if you were going to go get a nice custom suit, it's still going to cost you about fifteen hundred bucks which is still one gold coin. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's like, but, but the, it's going to cost you, you know, in dollar amount. Now it's going to cost you, you know, 13, 14, $1,500. And so that's how, uh, through the paper and through leaving the gold standard, the value that used to represent something, uh, has been devalued. And so now you're the purchasing power of that dollar no longer represents what it used to represent. Well, I wanted to talk about why issuing new money um, can cause can cause inflation or a devaluation in, in your money. So there's there's a couple different kinds of inflation. I would say there's there's one kind of good inflation where like prices are going up because there's a higher demand and people are making more money. And there's a higher demand for a product or a service, and the price the the prices on that are 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 just naturally going up. And like that's a good that's a good inflation where it's actually backed by uh, actual value in our market, and nothing you know nothing too bad about that. But then there's the bad side of inflation where you've made you've increased the amount <coughs> you've increased the amount of dollars that are available meaning that you've artificially increased the supply of of money and now that's just causing a, a rampant price in, inflation what we've seen in historical examples of this are the Weimar Republic which is the what Germany that was, was Germany before before World War II and so what happened there I can't remember the actual the actual percentage amount of inflation it was in the billions and the percentage amount um, but Basically, your entire life savings was not enough to buy you a loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. Eventually, was not a um, same thing in Russia. Eventually, it became more economical to burn money for heat than it would be to actually uh, use any other kind of resources for heat. It's happening um, right now in Venezuela. Venezuela, you can see pictures of money lining the streets and people trying to instead find food or toilet paper or things like this that the you can use money as toilet paper actually and it would actually you know have be more efficient in that use right now so this is something that has actually happened throughout history and it's it's due to printing money without any kind of value behind that money so fiat fiat money fiat currency so i wanted to uh, give a little bit of an example this is a good example for us, Charlie. It's football season starting, but imagine, if you will, you had a signed Jason Witten jersey. For for those of you who don't know, Jason Witten, just amazing tight end, played for the Cowboys for fifteen. He's playing again. Playing again this year, fifteen, mm-hmm. sixteen years. I feel year. like, yeah. So right now, so Jason Witten, you know, he's. Got, he doesn't have any Super Bowls. He doesn't have anything like that, but he's been playing for a long time. It, it's it's generally accepted that he is very good. So let's say that out there, there's 1,000 signed Jason Witten jerseys, and everyone values those at like, I don't know, $1,000 a piece or something because of the just 
because of the clout that Jason Witten has right now. Now, what would happen if all of a sudden Jason Witten was like, well, I'm going to sign and put on the market 10,000 more signed Jason Witten jerseys all of a sudden? Well, before there were a thousand and there were a certain amount of people that were trying to get that Jason Witten jersey. And so they had a the value that people were willing to pay for them. But now there's now there's 11,000 Jason Witten jerseys out there. And there, there might not be enough people out there trying to get signed Jason Witten jerseys. So now mm-hmm. the price of those jerseys has just completely fallen, the actual value of the jerseys. And so what that is, that's a price inflation. That's a printing money. The Jason Witten jerseys are the money, and he decided he was going to print some more money and put it out there on the market. And there wasn't actually any new value behind that, meaning that the value of the jerseys just just tanked all of a sudden. The only thing that would make that different is if Jason Witten won a Super Bowl this year, or in a couple of years from now, he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, or something like that. And then, when you put a bunch more Jason Witten jerseys on the market, there's actually a new value behind that that's going to help maintain the value of those jerseys. It creates more demand. It's going to create more demand. It's going to create a more a, a real value for the jerseys that is that is not going to tank the value of the jerseys by putting more of them out onto the market. Mm-hmm. He followed the printing of the jerseys with an actual backed demand, which was his which was his Super Bowl, his Hall of Fame induction, all of these things. So that's a way where you could add a bunch more onto the market and then you would actually still have a stable price because he became a lot more famous. Everyone knew he was a lot better. I think what I'm getting from all of this is you're saying Jason's going to win a Super Bowl with the Cowboys this year. Oh, man, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I hope he does. Yeah. I would like him to do that. So what we're doing right now is we're just printing. we, We print money, and then we just put it out there in the market. But there's no value behind it. You know, there, and there's actually a couple different ways that that happens. You can have the helicopter cash that uh, that people would talk about. Quantitative easy. <clears throat> your stimulus money. You when do you remember? I think when Bush was president, they actually did like a direct stimulus, and everyone got a check. Yeah. Uh, in the mail, I remember. I think my mom got like five or six hundred bucks, right. something like that. Well, so that is a uh, especially bad form of inflation because that's just going to put a bunch of new money into the market directly in the hands of the people. And all that's going to do is just immediately cause price inflation because there's more money available for the same things that there were. Uh, and the prices are just going to go up on everything because there's more money available for it. Mm-hmm. Kind of a little bubble forming right there. The other thing that we have is we have money printed and it starts kind of at the top. Let's just say it starts with like the rich people get to use the money first. So this is how it becomes kind of an especially uh, causes inequality and causes a tax on the people in the, the lower income brackets because when maybe the people at the top get to take out that money from the bank or it gets infused into the stock market, different things like this, they get to use the money before it's actually been devalued at that time. And by the time it filters all the way down to the people down into their paychecks and all that money gets all the way down there, well, the rich people actually got to use a much more valuable dollar than what the poor people are going to be able mm-hmm. to use. So that's kind of a little hidden tax on the people as well. And so so that's one one other thing. And 
with the the market bubble in 2008, this is another good example of this whole inflation of something without any kind of actual value to back it. What they did was they made, they artificially increased the money supply available for buying houses. That That's exactly what they did. They made it easier to buy a house by letting more money be available through lower interest rates, through government programs, first-time home buyers, all, all kinds of stuff like that. They stopped asking you what your income is. Yeah. You, you all know, kinds of... Didn't matter what your income was, if you had a job, anything like that. Um, so... So this is a inflation without any value because you've increased the supply of money that is available for a house, which made housing housing prices shoot up because that's just basic supply and demand. There's there's new money available for it, meaning the the demand is going to go up, meaning the the price of it's going to go up. So what they what ended up happening was eventually people are like, wait, this house isn't really actually worth this much money it's only worth this money because the government's got interest rates really low right now and artificially for houses the mortgage rates are super low right now there's government money there's programs available for first-time home buyers like this isn't the actual value of this house if all those programs were gone or interest rates were higher people wouldn't be, be wouldn't be paying 350 for that house they'd be paying 150 for the house right because there'd be a lot less people trying to get the houses at mm-hmm. that time so that's where you have a, a bubble pop where eventually people are like okay well this has got to stop sometime it's time to sell that's that's what we're doing there's another thing associated mm-hmm. with that yeah is mortgages are publicly traded yeah so so banks mm-hmm. what they do is is they take uh um, what's called mortgage-backed securities. So they have these securities exchanges on the market where banks like, hey, I have all of these mortgages and it's worth this much money. We're going to get this much money in interest. Well, let's trade that, right? Because yeah. we need we need money now. So they do these securities securities exchanges and it's a lot of money changes hand. It's a genius idea, by the yeah. way. <laughs> really good idea because, you know, and they, and they thought like, well, people aren't going to lose their house. You know, they're going to pay their mortgage above anything else. So this is like a safe bet. You never get into a mortgage that you couldn't afford. Exactly. No way. And so what they did was, I think this was back in the 60s or 70s is when they started doing this. And what happened was, is they would bundle all of these mortgages together and uh, there was a rating system. So depending on your credit score and, and your credit history and all of that, you were you were labeled, your mortgage was labeled, you know, uh, uh, grade A, I think. Yeah, like, A, so B. So you had A, B, C, D, whatever. And so what happened in when they started this in the late 90s, early 2000s, was banks were, were manipulating the rating system, and they were taking what's called subprime mortgage. Yeah. And they were putting them together with a bunch of uh, prime mortgages, like grade A, and they're wrapping all of these into one, and then they were selling that as like a grade A package. And so that was another thing that that manipulated the market and furthered the bubble is people that, that were probably not as likely to pay their mortgage were wrapped into people that were likely to pay their mortgage. And then they had a manipulated rating system, and they were selling these securities uh, that were really subprime. Yeah, and they were selling them as prime. So you had all this, you had so trillions of dollars tied up, collateralized debt obligation. Exactly. Yeah, and so all of those factors working together. Um, if you haven't seen the movie The Big Short, I think they put the blame on the wrong people. But the way they explain it is actually really, well, really they, good. They put blame 
on only half of the people. I right. wouldn't say the wrong people, but right. they they only place half of the blame. The other half would be on the government because people, you know, people are greedy. Everyone is greedy in some kind of way. You're just as greedy as someone that's in the stock market or someone that's on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. You're just not on Wall Street. So I, I'm sorry to tell you that, but you're not as greedy as them you think because you just don't have the power that they have right now. Now, they're good people, I'm sure. But what these people were doing was, well, one, they were under threat of fines uh, if they didn't give loans to certain people, you know, in certain districts. They had red line districts where they would not give out loans, and the government basically guaranteed said, it. said you couldn't, can't have the red line districts anymore, you know, because those are people and, you know, mainly minority communities, inner city, all this kind of stuff. Um, you you have to you have to sell inside of those red line districts. You can't do it. And then they said, but if it goes poorly, we'll guarantee it. Right. So if you're running the bank, like why why would you not? They it's just said, hey, free. you have to give these people loans, and if it goes poorly, we're going to cover it. So that they and did, then they did they, they did what they did. Now if they wouldn't have done that, then the banks wouldn't have been giving out all of those loans because they were too risky. And they would worry that they would lose all of that money and go bankrupt, mm-hmm. and then it wouldn't have happened. So yes, the banks were half of the of the bad situation. You know, there were people that were being greedy, but they were enabled by the government Once and, again, and those laws behind the scenes. Once again, all you had to do to fix the greed in the situation was take away the government intervention in the mm-hmm. market, and then sure, you got greedy people, but they weren't going to do what they did because it was too risky. And if they failed, then they would, they would have, they, their businesses would have been yeah, gone. They would have actually they, failed. They right. would have gone bankrupt. They, we they would have bailed them out. Yeah. We have another kind of bubble forming right now. And I was looking at quantitative easing right now. And what they do, uh, what they do with quantitative easing is the federal government, the, the federal reserve, uh, makes money available to the treasury to purchase government bonds so, and then the government bonds are what we use to finance our debt, to do all of our fancy government programs, mm-hmm. all the things that, you know, are inside of our deficit, the money that we don't take in in taxes. So what they do is the, the Federal Reserve will basically issue new money that didn't exist before, and then they will make <laughs> that money available to the Treasury for the Treasury to be able to buy, gov- for, for them to be able to buy government bonds, which is financing the debt all mm-hmm. the time. So they're inflating through that. And I think, uh, what was it, over a, uh, it was a five or 10 year period um, around the world that had been $12 trillion in quantitative easing, I mean, just new money printing. Um, most of that coming from us and China. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, not a not a good thing. And so what that's been doing is that's making the market for government bonds as artificial as the market for housing was. Right. And so now we've got this market for bonds where the government's been putting trillions of dollars into government bonds when actually the the demand for the bonds wasn't wasn't there. It's just they're just issuing fake money and they're not getting enough people to buy the bonds. A bond sometimes they're hard to understand, but you know when you're you know your grandma gives you a $25 sa- you know savings bond or whatever mm-hmm. and in you know 50 years from now it's going to be worth $26 or right. something like that. So, you know, kind of boring. But, but thanks, Grandma. But uh, 
the, that's where the bond is. And the reason that the government does this is that's how they finance things. Right. They say, hey, we will pay you. If you give us this much money right now, then we will give you this much money in return 20 years from now. It was, it's a, <clears throat> supposed to be a safe bet. Yeah, su- supposed to be a pretty good safe bet. So that's what a government bond, you can see like a 10-year bond. Well, what they want people to do is to uh, buy a 10-year bond for a billion dollars, and then 10 years from now, they're going to give them a billion, 100 million dollars later. Mm-hmm. It's, it's way less than that. But, so that's what a bond is. It's, they're, they're basically issuing that so they can have money to use now. It's something that we have to do because we have a deficit and a debt that we're trying to pay for right now. Right. So now we have this massive bond bubble, and that's a way more dangerous bubble because this is – if you think the housing market was a worldwide thing, <coughs> this – I mean – this is housing market times like a thousand as far mm-hmm. as how worldwide that's going to be. So that one's kind of scary. So is there a student loan mm-hmm. bubble too? I'd say. Oh I w- yeah, I would definitely say that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what the government did again was create an increase in demand by giving people by by literally giving out loans to anyone. Now it's so funny when you hear like Elizabeth Warren and some people call out the evil corporations and all this student loan sharks. It's like since what? 2005. I think it was 2005, 2006. The federal government's the mm. one that took over. Yeah. It was, in two, that was while Obama was president. So 2009 or 10, I think oh, okay. something like that. And the yep. increase in college has gone up exponentially. Oh yeah. Since then, you know, a, a university that used to cost you, you know, $10,000 a year is now $60,000. It's like 400% increase since the government took over the right. student loan. Now, why is that? Oh, God, it's not hard to understand. Yeah. We've talked about this before. You, The government basically guarantees um, a loan, and these are a lot of people aren't really paying them back. And so that's why the the bubble is created, let's say, because you have all of this debt now that can't be serviced. It's impossible. Yeah. What's it up? Like mm-hmm. $1.6 I think. For are you talking about the deficit? Student loan or debt. The, oh yeah, one point six trillion. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that it's the same thing as that we were just talking about in the housing market, and in the bond market, and inflation of <laughs> currency. Uh, just like with, it's the same thing with student loans. They're they're letting there be an, an artificial supply of money available for student loans, which is driving the price of student loans up to, you know, I don't know. No one can afford them anymore, and mm-hmm. you hardly ever get a job in the thing that you're getting your degree in anyway. So I'm, I hope we'll see the free market. Basically people will decide to not go to college is what I'm hoping. And they'll see that those prices have all got to go down. Right. So I hope that, that, that starts a new trend, but, um, yeah, so that's just a little bit about price inflation. Um, it's not a good thing because it's taking money from you without you doing anything. Whereas you have like a $5 bill right now, and what it does is it causes you to have to spend that $5 bill right now. That That's pretty much what happens. Because if you wait 10 years, you try to save that for 10 years and then use the $5 bill, it's not enough to do anything. It's only going to have a purchasing power of like 10 cents. Yeah. So it causes this consumption economy, which since a lot of our consumption is through fake money anyway, just causes more inflation, which causes, causes, causes more uh, what? Inflation, consumption, inflation, consumption. It's just a never-ending cycle. keeps going. It's not good. Until but, it all crashes and you reset. And then you reset again. Mm-hmm. Or the government takes over even more, and then it gets worse. Right. So um, speaking of, uh, important question we got on Facebook, 
Are you ready for the end times? <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? Yeah. Okay. This yeah. Uh, actually reminded me of that conversation you were having on Facebook, you know, about uh, how we're just going to get to a war, it sounds like. But <laughs> you're right. What, <laughs> what I had to say about this was um, <clears throat> things are getting really bad right now. Um, they seem like they're getting really bad. I think that every, this is not to downplay how bad it is right now, but I'm going to downplay how bad it is right now. Um, (laughs) I think every society has thought that they were in the end times. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about maybe you're in the 1930s, Great Depression era, you're probably like, oh my God, these are the end times. And then it's it's World War II going on, you know, atomic bombs being dropped on countries. You know, Mm -hmm. all these millions of people dying from war. You're like, oh, my God, this is the end times. And then when you go to the Cold War, where like we're doing drills, getting under your desk like that's going to save you from a nuclear bomb getting dropped. But, you know, doing drills where Russia and America are about to completely destroy each other. And you're like, oh, my God, these are the end times. Mm -hmm. And so to put it in perspective while we might have really terrible rhetoric and we have social media now, which I think in one way shines a light on bad things that are happening, but it's probably causing some more hate that wouldn't have been there in the first place. Um, We have all that now, but if you were to put yourself in the position of someone that was alive and that was your age in the 1940s, thinking that we were in the end times, um, are you anywhere near the situation that the person in the 1940s who said we were in the end times was in? You know, not, not really, not really. We've talked about this before. The world is actually be like, it's becoming better. It is, you know, for, for, <clears throat> there's this weird optimism that I have when I look, <clears throat> when I look specifically at the data, um, we are creating better lives for human beings all over the world. Yeah. And so, People like, I don't know, like the UN predicts that there will be no one in abject poverty by the year 2030. Yeah. So in 11 years, like no one else, no one's going to be basically starving anymore. Those people will be out of poverty just in time for climate change to kill all of us. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. The fastest growing economies right now are in sub-Saharan Africa. Their GDP is growing at like seven, eight percent. Yeah. Um, hundreds of millions of people are not dying anymore in China. Uh, yeah, people are getting richer. Wealth is going up. Even like, even the poorest among us, we talk about this in America. Like you've got, you can have a private car service if you want to for five or 10 bucks to go down the street. Yeah. You know, um, most people in America, even poor people have running water, which is a weird concept to think about. We haven't had running water for very long. No, not very long. Even if you are like, even if you are maybe broke as far as money is concerned, a lot of those stats that you see don't take into account the standard of living that we all have. That's the problem. They talk about wages being flat or something like that, which is a flawed statistic. We'll talk Mm -hmm. about that uh, some other time, I guess. Well, I could say in a minute right now, the, the median wage statistics, the household family income that they use as a statistic, um, does not take into account how many people are in the household. So while they can say that household family income um, relative to 
uh, inflation in today's dollars, they'll say it's basically flat over the last 30 years or something like that. What they're not taking into account is that 30 years ago, there were uh, technically 3.5 people in a household, and now there's like 2.2 people in a household. <laughs> so you've got the same household family income, only it's gone from 3.5 people in the household to 2.2, meaning that it's now less people to care for less people in the house are making the same amount of money, which even if it is the same amount of money, it means those people are making more because there's less people there making the money. Right. And it's still the same. So that's like a little thing that they don't, that they don't take into account. But, um, the other thing taking value into account, like with the truck that you were talking about, where it used to be $8,000 and now it's 40 mm-hmm. or 50. Well, Look at what a truck in the 70s had on it, you know? There's a lot of new gadgets. Did it have a backup camera? Did it have Bluetooth, you know? Did it have <coughs> the amazing air conditioning? Was it jacked up a bunch? Was it was it going to be able to go 160 miles an hour, you know? Was right. it was it getting 26 miles to the gallon? Did it have seatbelts? Did, <laughs> did it have seatbelts? <laughs> I mean, yeah, they cost Cru- more. censorships. They cost more, but if they made a truck today that was the exact same standard as a truck in the 1970s, it would probably be really, really cheap. Really cheap. Mm-hmm. So we can't probably just, still more expensive than we, yeah five or seven grand. We can't just look at a truck and act like we're comparing the same thing because you're basically comparing a horse and wagon to a spaceship. Is pretty much it's it's not the same thing at all. So we can't just say, oh, a truck costs this in this year, and now a truck costs this. Well, they're completely different. Yeah. Completely different. So There's many factors. Uh, lots, lots and lots of factors. Yeah. But I just, uh, maybe that's a little bit of optimism, but, you know, that's just think, one of the I questions we had. From like, I think apart from, like, us destroying ourselves in nuclear war, um which if we don't learn how to talk to each other, it might be a possibility or maybe instruct by an asteroid or something. Yeah. Um, you know, the end times, it's something that, like you said, every society talks about. Um, I think apart from a couple of those things happening, we don't, the world is looking like a better place. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really know, you know, I guess if there's a nuclear apocalypse, then yeah, I guess I'm ready for it. Are you? As far as Jesus is concerned. We can get under this desk right here. It should be good. Yeah, Yeah, it's just a glass desk. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I think think overall there's, I don't know, as pessimistic as I can be when I talk about some of the things going on in the political world, um, there's a lot of good things happening. And I think maybe, you know, that's the whole meaning part of this podcast, you know, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Meaning is that there are a lot of great things happening right now that the media doesn't cover that you probably mostly don't hear about. But like, if you just get yourself together, then the world, at least your world, your perception of reality can be a lot better. There's a lot less anxiety to overtake you. If you just make your bed every day, (laughs) start there. Yeah. That's a big one. That's it. It's, it's, um, I think it's important to keep all those things in perspective. Um, I think that a lot of people see this getting worse. I, one of the things that we want to focus on that we're going to be putting a lot more focus on is how to talk to people that have different opinions from you. Because 
the problem is right now, the way that we're all talking to each other, this goes for both sides of the aisle, all three sides of the aisle, <laughs> all three of them, the Republicans, Democrats, and Libertarians. We do not know how to talk to each other in the way that we could actually achieve the goal of the conversation. Because right now, right now, it seems as though the goal of the conversation is to schedule a place to meet and murder each other. Like, that's the goal of the conversation mm -hmm. right now. The goal needs to be, how are we all going to share this ground together mm -hmm. and, and make a better life for those that come after us? That's the goal. Most Everyone's really got the same goal. We right. all, even, you know, Democrats with all the, the liberal, leftist, socialists, all these people, they've got the same goal that you do, which is they think they are, they are putting forth a policy that will be the best thing for the most amount of people. That's what they think. Well, and oddly enough, I think most people are just, they want, they want what's best for them and their family. Yeah. Like, that's it. You know, like most voters... We've talked about this, like they, they care about the potholes in the road and what kind of education is my son and daughter going to get? And am I going to have a, a decent job and be able to buy groceries and put food on the table? Like it's really selfish things, but yeah, but we care about the same things. Like what's best for, for me and my family, what's best for you and your family? You know, libertarians think the same way. We all have that inkling to survive number one. And then once, once we're able to survive and our needs are met, how can we, live the most abundant life possible. And we just have different ways of getting there. And how do you have that conversation where, especially as libertarians or liberty minded people, we're selling the hardest message. Oh yeah. The hardest message is be like, well, you need to be responsible for yourself. Don't blame anyone else for your shortcomings in life. It's all your fault. Yeah. You need to learn how to take on that responsibility and then make your life better. Whereas like the leftists will say, um, you can't get ahead because the man's got you down and let government be responsible for you. And I would say the extreme right would say um, almost the same thing, like government will, will control it for you, but we're going to legislate morality and what's bad for your life is, <clears throat> is a... Um, people holding you down because they look different than you. That would be the big government, right? You know, the, the ethnic part yeah. of it. Yeah. Like you can't get ahead because of white people or you can't get ahead because of black people or you can't get ahead because of Jews. And we're going to fix that or for Mexicans, you by, get, by getting rid of them. Yeah. Yeah. And none of that's, none of that's correct. It's, <clears throat> it's like you're guaranteed a few things in life. Like you're guaranteed your life. And that's pretty much it. And what you do with that is up to you. Yeah. It's not up to anybody else. No one's holding you back. The only person holding you back is you. So you need to look in the mirror and figure out what's a few things that I could do better today than I did yesterday. And you ask yourself that question every single day. Do that for 10 years and see where you end up. So it's worth the experiment. It's got to be better. Yeah. It has to be. It has to be. Yeah. So... Well, I think that people should subscribe to the podcast. That's one oh, thing yeah. that we ask. We didn't mention that at the beginning this time. Yeah, I know. We forgot. Um, you can go to goodmorningliberty.us slash shop and get some cool t-shirts. Some of them say we got uh, shall not be infringed real big on a shirt. We got taxation as theft in a couple different designs. 
Uh, we have BernieLies.com um, on, on a couple different designs. So check it out. If you like the message that we're talking, the money that goes into that's going to go back into advertising money to grow this show and to grow our website and to get more of this message out there to more people. So um, that's just one way that you could support. You can follow us on at Good Morning Liberty on Instagram or at Good AM Liberty on Twitter and find us on Facebook. Yeah. So. And uh, join the conversation. There's lots of it happening, and we're we're guys that are willing to talk through things. So, uh, if you guys do all of that, and especially if you purchase a T-shirt, uh, we'll be back on Monday now because today's Friday. We'll be back on Monday. I'm traveling next week, so mm. there might be some some limitations. Yeah, but we're gonna figure it out, and we're gonna get this content out to you guys. So, we hope you guys have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.